With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Thank you for listening to the late-breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the late-breaking F1 podcast, presented by me, Ben Hocking, and Sam Sage. In typical fashion, Harry Eid is not here on the day that we get an absolute banger. Uh, I feel that's part of the course, isn't it, really? Harry is living up in Ibiza, not enjoying the Italian Grand Prix as we both did. We have a first McLaren 1-2 in 11 years, a first McLaren win in 9 years, a first Ricardo win in 3 years, and just to top it all off, a Verstappen and Hamilton crash. So you can imagine we're going to be really struggling to think of things to say today. Um, Sam, I mean, you weren't here on the preview podcast, so it must be good to be to be back for an exciting one. Oh my God, I can't believe I missed the preview. It was so much to talk about. Bloody Russell and Bottis, it's finally happened and I missed all that. Well, fortunately, in the, the days leading up to this eventful Grand Prix, Harry isn't actually an IBF, I've just eaten him uh, to consume extra LB and I've just got a mouthful of splinters now from the fence panels that he likes to sit on. Um, yeah, I can't believe Harry's missed this one. He's off in the sunny, uh, the sunny islands of Spain. And we're here living it up. We're really the ones living it up as we watch bloody a double McLaren. You know, the one-two. No rebels on the podium. Oh, I wonder whose bold prediction that was. Um, it was honestly a spectacular Grand Prix. Cannot wait to dive in to dissect all of the absolute craziness that has gone on. Um, the Tafosi, it was an absolute treat. Also, Daniel Ricciardo, that little bit of Italian throwing in at the end there, which was lovely to hear. Oh, God, what a spectacle. What a spectacle. I loved it. Loved every second of it. I love that a minute in and we're already on to cannibalism. It's yep, going to be a good one, folks. How I it's going to be a good one. Yeah, it, it, you should, shouldn't really roll that way. We've discussed this before. <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo. First win in three years. We are, of course, going to discuss that with his teammate Lando Norris in second place. Valtteri Bottas recovering from the back row of the grid to finish third. We'll be discussing that later, of course. Sergio Perez did actually finish third on track, but received a five-second penalty um, due to his unfair or alleged unfair overtake. We'll be discussing whether that was fair. Uh, And we also had a sprint race. I know it was only yesterday, but it feels like a lifetime ago based on what we saw today. We'll be discussing how that one went on its second outing. But first of all, Verstappen and Hamilton, they decided they'd, they'd collide again, didn't they? Um, Lewis Hamilton coming out of the pits after uh, his pit stop, his one and only pit stop. Verstappen, of course, was delayed in his pit stop, which caused the two to be near each other on circuit in the first place. Hamilton coming out of the pits has the inside line. Verstappen already on circuit has the outside line, side by side into that first chicane. And it didn't end well. It ended with both of them in the gravel. Uh, and Verstappen's car pretty much on top of Lewis Hamilton's car. So uh, if we take the sprint race and the points that Verstappen gained there, no points on Sunday at least for either driver, Sam. Do you lay blame at the feet of one or the other here? Um, no. And I think you can argue uh, from both sides entirely. I think both are justified. Both can look back through 
past results and past incidents that have happened at that chicane, which is being home to a lot of incidents over there, especially the last few years, but across the whole time that Monza has had that corner on its track, um, which is essentially forever, there has always been problems with that chicane. There has always been moments where cars have come together, cars have skipped over the, the curbing, cars have had to go through the runoff. And I think that both Verstappen and Hamilton have got a very fair argument to make as to why this was one a racing incident, why they felt like they did everything right. Uh, let's go with Max Verstappen first hand, right? He, he's already annoyed, you can tell, from the probably the worst pit stop we've seen on a Red Bull side of things for quite some time, especially in Verstappen's favour. 11 seconds it pretty much was, which is incredibly unusual. And I think this is what Mercedes cheekily were hoping for when they were definitely in favour of a few small changes going in the way of having to slow down pit stops. I think they were hoping that Red Bull might try and push themselves too far and there might be a mistake. Well, whether that was intending or not, we finally seen that mistake from the Red Bull garage, who are usually pitch perfect when it comes to a pit stop. And they messed it up on the championship leader, and that caused him, of course, to scramble. Um, so he was already frustrated, incredibly frustrated. So I suppose when you come around the next time around, you come down pit lane, if we were to borrow a reference from our American friends, and you see your championship rival emerging from the pit lane in front of you. One, that's not ideal. Two, you've got the red mist. You're already wanting to throw the car in as fast as possible to make sure that you don't lose out any more than possible. It's not about winning the race anymore for these two. It's about beating each other. They know that they can win the championship if they finish second and third every single race from here on out. It's really not going to make too much difference for them. So Verstappen knows he has to get round the outside of Hamilton to stop the sprint result being null and void, essentially. He puts on a pretty good move in the first part of the chicane, and I can argue that Yet, the door was shut on him going into the second part of the chicane. So, I think he's got a fair point to go. Uh, can I get all four wheels on the track? You know, I didn't have the space there. What's going on? As we saw, he was fired up into the air over Hamilton's car. And I think the back wheel of Verstappen, sorry, the front wheel of Verstappen, just brushed Lewis Hamilton's helmet in that crash. Let's look at it from the other side of the, of the, uh, the incident, from Lewis Hamilton's point of view. The uh, saying is of throwing him into the pit lane to go onto the medium tyre, which I thought was you know, a bit of an, an interesting choice, actually. I'm not sure how far the mediums would have gone at that point, but they made the call. Hamilton comes out alongside Verstappen going into that first corner. Now, where I think Hamilton believes it's going to be a racing incident is if you look at previous incidents. Firstly, we'll take one from the same race. Verstappen essentially left the same amount of space for Hamilton going into the second chicane on the first lap. Hamilton ended up having to run wide and go over the kerb, exactly like Max Verstappen had to do in turn one. It was almost a copy and paste incident where the two cars were together, one car had to run over the curbing, nothing was done about it. Fine, I think the crash makes it look way more dramatic than what it actually would have been had Verstappen just had to run over a bumpy kerb. Um, secondly, let's cast our minds back to when Charles Leclerc won at Monza, and we had almost an identical thing happen, again without the dramatic crash, between Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton. Leclerc got away with being able to push cars a little bit wider than probably expected. He got given a little bit of a warning, and Leclerc ended up going on to win the race, having been a little bit elbows out, shall we say, with Hamilton going into both those chicanes. Again, Hamilton got muscled out on that previous occasion. I'm sure that Hamilton's gone into Monza this time going, I'm not going to be on the back end of this incident. So that's why I think Hamilton believes this is a racing incident, and that's why I can see the incident from both sides. I don't think there is enough give on both Max Verstappen's point of view or Lewis Hamilton's point of view, who both want to seize every single point. I don't think either should back out. They are both champions through and through. I know Verstappen hasn't technically won it, but you know he's made of champion stuff. Lewis Hamilton being, you know, the GOAT, is going to go for it at every opportunity, and I respect him for it. They did what they both should do. I think they went and raced as hard as they could, and I, they threw the cars in, and we ended up in a bit of a crash. It's going to be a shame. The worst part is that I think it will sour the race weekend a little bit for the fans. I think F1 Twitter will be a little bit... Poisonous, with both sets of fans having a go at each other, and I hope that Toto Wolff and um, Karen, so Christian Horner, don't have a um, have a go at each other for the next two weeks on air because it's going to become very dull very very quickly. So for me, yes, it was a big crash. It looked very dramatic. Both guys walked away fine, but I do think because of the reasons I've given previously, this was a racing incident. Um, I think letter of the law. This was a racing incident. My own view of this is that it was Hamilton's fault. Um, I think if you if you don't give a car's width when someone's alongside, then you can't have too much complaint where they don't have control when they're going over the kerb. Of course, they went on that Verstappen went on that sausage kerb at turn one. Um, they're they're pretty evil things, um, which is why they're there in the first place to detract anyone from even trying to explore track limits. So you understand why they're there, but. 
when you get on them, you don't have much control at all. So um, if Lewis Hamilton didn't want that to happen, he should have left a bit more room. The, the difference between, I think, that incident and the one that happened on the first lap is that Lewis Hamilton was going for the move, going for the move, going for the move, and then at the last moment went, okay, no, going to bail out of this, not going to crash, went over the curbs instead. Here, Verstappen still went over the curb, but he was still trying to make the move happen. He was still attempting to squeeze past Lewis Hamilton right until the point that they crashed. So I think the first one on lap one was a bailout, essentially. This one was more, I am committed to this move. I'm going to keep going regardless of what the consequences are. Now, I would say from Verstappen's side, you could ask the question, regardless of whether it's his fault or not, that's almost irrelevant for this specific question. Should he have backed out? You know, should he have just lived to fight another day? Should he have let Lewis Hamilton have this one? See if he could get it back on the lap or two after afterwards. Um, I, I would say that because I did argue that at Silverstone, you know, at Silverstone, I said Lewis Hamilton was at fault for the crash between the two drivers. But given Verstappen's quite large advantage in the championship at that point, I said that there was definitely a case for him to just give that one up lose the battle but keep winning the war I don't think that's the same case here at Monza and I agree with Verstappen continuing to try that move I think at this point in time with their championship efforts Verstappen can afford a nil-nil as essentially it was if you exclude the sprint race points I think he can exclude that I think I'm oh, sorry I think he can I think he can accept that because this was definitely a Mercedes track we saw throughout practice we saw throughout qualifying this was Mercedes to win, not Red Bulls to win. And I think given that, a nil-nil result is much better for Verstappen than it is for Lewis Hamilton. So I agree with Verstappen trying to make that move. And given those medium tyres on Lewis Hamilton's car, I think it would have been his only opportunity. I don't think he would have had another one. So I think it's fair that he tried it. You're right in what you say, that it was interesting that Lewis Hamilton was there in the first place in that they pit him very early considering he was on the hard tyres to start with. He was the only guy in the top 16, I think, who started on the hard tyres. So very interesting that he, he was in that spot to begin with. I can understand why Mercedes made the move, though, because after Verstappen's slow pit stop, they basically had the opportunity, we can get Lewis Hamilton out ahead of Max Verstappen on better tyres for now, and we can beat him. You're right in what you say, Sam. It almost doesn't matter if Ricardo wins the race or if Norris wins the race. Obviously, it's not the ideal result for Mercedes, but at the same time, they can accept that it's not damaging for their championship as long as they're ahead of Verstappen. So I understand why they did it. And bear in mind that Lewis Hamilton's stop was slow itself. It was 4.2 seconds. So realistically, Hamilton should have been clear of Verstappen going into that first corner if it all went right for Mercedes at the pit stop. It's a very interesting one. I, I'm with you, Sam, in that I think think I would I would I would give Hamilton a penalty for this based on my own my own view of what racing should be but I think based on the regulation itself it should be a racing incident but I it almost for me doesn't really matter I would I don't care which one it is as long as we get a very limited or hopefully I I, I don't even I don't even want to say none because it's not going to happen but I really hope that Christian Horner and, and Toto Wolff are not at each other's throats for the next two weeks because it's tiring. I just, it is what it is, guys. Um, and nothing that Christian Horner now says, nothing that Toto Wolff now says is going to change that. But it ain't going to happen, is it? Driver of the day, Sam. Who are you going for? So, yeah, before we jump into driver of the day, I just want to talk about one further thing, sure. which, again, maybe comes down to the mismanagement of penalties that we've seen from the stewards time and time again, and maybe where this will play a part in Hamilton getting a penalty or not, or Verstappen getting the, the, the result he wants out of this judgment, and that was the Ocon-Sebastian Vettel moment that happened in the second chicane as well. Um, arguably, a couple of years ago, Charles Leclerc did exactly the same thing to Lewis Hamilton. He forced him off the track a little bit and didn't leave the cars with. Hamilton protested this massively. No penalty was given at that point. Leclerc went on to win the race. This time around, though, uh, it was almost an identical collision. You know, they very slightly touched. Verstappen was able... Sorry, not Verstappen. Vettel was able to stay on the track. Ocon drove away in, 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 in the lead of that battle to start with. But then in time was given a five-second penalty for almost an identical move. So... 
Um, whether Hamilton gets an issue or not, a penalty or not for this, or Verstappen gets away with anything, it's clear that the stewards cannot be consistent again around a track like this, because we've seen within a couple of years of each other, issues continuing where penalties are not the same as it was. Um, so I, I don't know how much of a given it is that one driver will walk away with or without a penalty, whether it will be a driving incident, but a final judgment of mine is it is a racing incident due to the other incidents that we've seen. Um, right, driver of the day. Um, I mean, I've, I've already been doing shoeies since the moment the lights were crossed. I've, I've got a cup of tea here and it is being drunk out of my boot from the other room because, of course, Daniel Ricciardo is the driver of the day. Man gets an electric start. Man gets down the start finish straight brilliantly well. Um, gets a great braking as we've come to expect time and time again from Daniel Ricciardo and it is fantastic to see um, that he's still got it. As he said, you know, um, I never left. I just moved aside for a bit and he's back. He's still here. Um, Daniel Ricciardo takes the winger for me. He was driver of the day. It was a flawlessly executed run by Daniel Ricciardo. He managed the safety car restart brilliantly. He got off the line brilliantly. He managed his team brilliantly. And we saw that when Norris complained about the speed, he upped it and he was able to, to consider his teammate as well. Um, Norris was fantastic as well. Um, and, and Botties. Big up Botties. You know, all the way from the back row of the grid to third place. He had the car to do it, but that man was making moves like a bloody... Gymnast in the Olympics. I don't know. It was fantastic. Uh, the top three were all absolutely brilliant. So for me, it is Daniel Ricciardo, but I think you can make a cause for a lot of people having a very good race today. Good old Darren Ricciardo back on form again. And uh, on, I just, yeah, I just love the revelation in the post-race interview that he has in fact been sandbagging all year <laughs> and we just didn't know about it. We knew something was up and that that makes sense. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to say that and I do have a driver of the day, but I'm going to say generally speaking, I don't think there were actually any really great performances out there today. I don't think anyone was was brilliant. Um, I, I think there was you could put a, an argument against every driver as to who it should be. Now, um, I'm actually going to give it to Daniel Ricciardo as well. Uh, but I will say that he definitely got the job done at the start, which was the most important thing. I don't think his pace was great. Um, I think Lando Norris probably had pace on Daniel Ricciardo if he was allowed to show it. So whilst I think he did everything he needed to do, obviously, he essentially led from start to finish. So he, he did a great job and he is my driver of the day. But I don't think it was a flawless performance and I wouldn't put it near the top of what we've seen from Daniel Ricciardo overall. Um other mentions, uh, the ones you've given really, um, Valtteri Bottas, I was probably going to give it to him if he made that move on Perez, but ultimately yeah. he he made all those moves and fair play to him. He made short work of pretty much everyone that he, he overtook. That, that's fine. But then he got up to Perez and he needed to make that move stick and he couldn't. And ultimately we saw Lewis Hamilton stuck behind the, well, the McLaren of Lando Norris throughout the first stint. Bottas did very well up until that point, but when he faced similar car in terms of ability, like Hamilton did, it was the same result. So um, I'm not saying that Bottas only did what he was supposed to do, but he could, and I know he beat Perez anyway, technically, but I'd love to have seen it on track from him. The other one I want to give a shout out to actually is Charles Leclerc. Um, he had considerable pace on Carlos Sainz all weekend long. So, uh, sorry, that's that's not really fair. Um, in the race, you know, in qualifying was actually quite close. But in, in the race, Charles Leclerc definitely had a clear edge. Um, and he played it quite well, even when he had got overtaken by a couple of cars at the start of the safety car restart. Um, which I think is fair, given the Ferrari that just wasn't their track at all, even with the Monza support. He still stuck in there and actually stayed relatively close to Bottas after he got overtaken. It wasn't a Ferrari track at all. So I think a P5 and P6 is far from a bad result for them. Sorry, P5, P7, I should say. Uh, Perez did get signs. Worst driver of the day, Hugo. Well, you just mentioned the uh, the young man's name. It's Sergio Perez. I don't think there are any ridiculously bad performances unless you look at the absolute back markers like Mazepin and Schumacher and... Um, Ocon, Vettel was in the wars today. But if we're going to talk about outright performances um, and where they should be in comparison to their teammates, I know that Perez was left out to dry a little bit and it was tough to overtake in the sprint because everyone was so close together for so long. But as you said, Ben, Monza was not a Ferrari track. I did not have the straight line speed. Bottas absolutely put them to the sword when he got up to them. Um, and we've seen how close that Honda is in terms of straight line speed to the Mercedes. 
he should be able to do this. He should be able to get, make those moves and work it out. And Perez was just all over the shop. You know, I think he hasn't screwed his head on properly. And there are a few moments where Perez arguably could have not got himself a five-second penalty, for example, by actually thinking ahead of the team, going, don't give it back, do give it back, don't give it back, do give it back. And he maybe could have saved himself a bit of a moment. I guess it comes to expect a little bit more from him now. And I don't think he's really delivering. And I, I get to this point in a season where a driver maybe isn't up to my expectations, where it starts to... The scales start to tip in the unfavourable manner. And as much as I love Sergio P, big Checo, um, he's he's not delivering. And I don't think when, you, when your teammate before the crash was, and before the terrible pit stop, was able to run less than a second of, uh, you know, behind first for the entire race, and you weren't able to make any moves properly stick, it just doesn't look great on you. Um, so there are some other names that had bad performances. There are some names further down the, the field that had some silly incidents. But I think overall, in terms of championship standings and how I expected you to run, Sergio was my worst driver of the day. Uh, I'm gonna have to dis- I'm gonna have to agree. I'm afraid. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go Sergio Perez as well. Bear in mind that Bottas had a lot to recover based on where he started, but it was completely fair that he was there to begin with. He did everything he could do on the Friday and the Saturday, but ultimately. It was a it was a grip penalty. There wasn't anything he could do about that grip penalty because it was based on a on 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 the power unit. Whereas Sergio Perez, he had a lot of work to do in the sprint race and in the race, but that's only because he didn't qualify very well on the Friday, and that was down to him. And you could say that yes, he was used to give Verstappen a toe at parts during qualifying. Yes, he was. He they both got a toe from Gasly on in Q3, and that still wasn't enough for him. And realistically. Monza is a circuit where there really shouldn't be massive differences between teammates because there aren't many opportunities to gain time on your teammates. You are at the mercy of your power unit for so much of the track that there are a limited number of corners where you can theoretically get ahead of your teammate. If we look at, I mean, use use McLaren as the example. Daniel Ricciardo has been a long way off for most of this season. They get to Monza, and we'll discuss this more in a bit, but they get to Monza, there's not much between them. Do I think that Daniel Ricciardo has had a revelation overnight? No, I don't. I think it's Monza and the way that the track is that there isn't going to be much between teammates. And Perez, there was still a big gap between him and Verstappen on both Friday and Saturday. Get to the race. Okay, he he does all right for the first half of the Grand Prix. Verstappen and Hamilton's crash helps him out a bit to, to gain a few more positions. But ultimately... What did he expect to happen in that move where he, against Leclerc? Like what, what did he think was going to happen when he, he completed the move off track? Did they think the stewards were just going to ignore it? I know they're bad, but they're, they're not that bad. They, they, they do have eyes, contrary to popular belief. Did they just expect that to, to go away? Of course you've got to give that position back. And ultimately that poor decision... And I'm not necessarily saying that's completely on Perez as well, because the team should have been on at him, like, give that position back, we will be penalised. But it was just poor decision-making. Um, it, it was a bad race for him. And it seems to be something different every week. He needs he needs a two or three race stretch where it's just solid performance, solid performance, solid performance. Uh, and there's none of this. You know, we had Austria where there was the incidents with Norris, and we've had this one here. We've had bad Q3 before. We had the Q1 elimination. There's so many things that are just adding up against Perez. He just needs a seamless weekend. And honestly, it's exactly the same thing we were saying about Albon and Gasly. Yeah, you're right. Um, Something that's slightly outside of the Perez moment, more a Red Bull thing that we've seen twice now this season. We saw it in the very first race at Bahrain, and now we're seeing it here in Monza, is that when a Red Bull driver appears to overtake a car off track, as Verstappen did with Hamilton uh, in that first race, and now Perez has done with Leclerc, do Red Bull seem to have a bit of an issue with giving a decisive order of when a, a car should be given back, a uh, position should be given back? For me, it was clear. Perez should have gone round the first Lesmo, pulled to the inside line, let Leclerc back through, then immediately been back on him again in the DRS zone, going down the straight towards the Ascari chicane. It feels like a very obvious choice. I know that they're moving around at 150 to 200 miles an hour. Don't get me wrong. But this is their job. They are paid to make these decisions. And they are aware of these kinds of implements that they need to create, as are the team, as are strategists. It feels like quite an obvious one to resolve without having to deal with this constant threat of a penalty. And then, with 10 laps to go in a track where you can't pull away without tongues of fresh air in front of you, 
he gets a five-second penalty. Uh, the same thing happened with Verstappen not being able to get the overtake redone on Hamilton after they stupidly gave the um, the place back in a really silly place that meant that Hamilton could just waltz off a little bit. I don't know. It seems something like it might be something there, and they're not used to doing this, or it's a bit silly. This feels like a really simple one that they should be getting right. Yeah, if it's 50-50, I, I would say fair enough. You, you took a gamble on it, didn't pay off, fine. It was 50-50, could have gone either way. This was such a slam dunk. I, I can't understand it. It's not even the, the only time it happened during the weekend as well. Of course, it, we had the same incident or a very similar incident on Saturday as well, which we will get into in a bit. Moment of the race, what are you going for? Um, I think it's got to be the McLaren 1-2 crossing the line. I can obviously give it to the crash, but I actually think the crash has soured things a little bit for me of that Grand Prix. I feel like we're going to hear too much about this and not about... I think McLaren will have won it anyway, so I don't think we get to hear about the McLaren success that was outright theirs this weekend. Uh, they were brilliant. And Ricardo, it did feel like a bit of a resurgence. I know, Ben, I agree with you. This isn't kind of like a suddenly from zero to 100%. But this does feel like he's hit the refresh button. He came back after that summer break. Spa was very solid for him. Uh, he wasn't quite there with Norris and Spa, but he was competitive. Uh, and then we come to um, we come to Monza, which again is definitely an easier track to match your teammate. But you've still got to eke out those tenths and hundredths of a second. And he did that. He was better in the sprint race as well. And then he executed it brilliantly. So it's a bigger resurgence for Ricardo. Norris gets his best ever finish so far. We've got a McLaren 1-2 for the first time in what? I think as you said, then nine years or something like that which is absolutely astonishing. Um, so, yeah, for me, that was a great moment. His little speech at the end was absolutely brilliant. It was really encouraging to hear. So, for me, moment of the race. Yep, same for me. Um, a winning Daniel Ricciardo is is good. Is great for Formula 1, ultimately. He's such a character um, that not, not seeing him on the podium, on the top step, it isn't great for Formula 1. Um, you know, he is... He has a reputation as this this fun-loving guy with a massive smile all the time. But there are two sides to Daniel Ricciardo that he is seriously competitive. There's such emotion whenever he wins a race. You remember the last time he won a race, Monaco 2018. Like the passion that when he steps out of that car, that's what we want to see. So a winning Daniel Ricciardo is, is great for F1. Uh, and yeah, first McLaren won two since the 2010 Canadian Grand Prix. First McLaren win full stop since 2012 Brazil. So, um, I mean, you've got to love it. Absolutely loved it. And we'll we'll glance over this uh, little topic we've got here, which I think is to review bold predictions. Um, so I think you were probably right. I was probably wrong. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> what on, a great topic on, that on, was. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Just say those words again, Ben. Who was right and who was wrong? All right, so Sam predicted that there would not be a Red Bull on the podium. And I'm starting to think now that Sergio Perez and you might have some sort of deal to the point where he intentionally didn't finish on the podium to get that done. Oh, uh, you know. But, um, and then my my prediction actually re related to um, the sprint race, uh, quote-unquote qualifying, where I said that, neither Ferrari would start inside the top 12. That didn't quite go to plan. Um, to be fair, for a little while, it looked like I might be onto something after Charles Leclerc had to bail out of FP3, uh, sorry, FP2 um, quite yeah. early. And Carlos Sainz crashed in the same session. So for a, a few hours on Saturday lunchtime, I was like, I'm, I'm on for a winner here. Yeah, they then I, both um... started and they were fine. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't able to watch the sprint race live. I was at um, my partner's graduation, so I had to. All apps were off. You know, I was on mute for everything. I got back and I caught up on all the action. About halfway through, it, I thought, "How has Ben done this? How has he got this so well nailed?" And then, of course, it all came into play, and uh, they ruined it for him, which was quite lovely. I don't remember what Harry's was. Can you remember Ben? You've usually got them written down. No, I no idea. Who was wrong? I think. Yeah, sorry, I, Harry. I mean, definitely, I, if you were right, no idea what it was. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've learned my lesson don't bet against Charles Leclerc it won't end well but well oh done God. bold prediction correct Sam tick love that one yep good race good race all round Daniel Ricciardo moving on to him for a bit more as well so his first win in three years I think the attention now turns to what does this mean for Daniel Ricciardo at McLaren does it mean that 
he will get back on pace with Lando Norris on a much more consistent basis. Does that mean even more than that? Can he possibly assert his dominance here? Um, well, what do you reckon, Sam? Do you think this was a bit of a one-off in terms of a performance or the start of something else? So there was an interview done with old Danny Rick, and it's no secret. He knew it himself. There was no secret that Danny Rick was not on the pace he should be at all for the first half of this Formula 1 season. I think the biggest moment was when Lando Norris was so quick at Imola that Danny Rick was asked to move out the way, and within about two laps, I think Lando was about five or six seconds up the road. It was pretty drastic. And uh, after the summer break, you know, Danny Rick had a quick interview and he said, I feel better. I've taken a reset. I feel like I've learned what's going on and I, I'm improving. And we saw that in Spa. I know we didn't get the race, but in qualifying, he was not on the pace of Lando Norris. Lando could have quite easily got himself a pole position had he not been the only person to go out at the start and put it in the wall at the Oru sector. Uh, but Danny Rick was also not far off. He was definitely obviously always going to be in that top four or five shout. I think it looked very positive for him. And then we come to Monza. Now... Again, we've said Monza is tricky and Monza does reduce the gap typically between teammates. And I would argue, Ben, you've already brought this up on the podcast, that Lando, despite being behind Danny Rick, did look like across the race he had a little more to give. Um, He was constantly behind Ricardo quite comfortably. Uh, There was no moments where uh, Ricardo was able to drive off down the road. And only after the VSC, where, you know, obviously the restarts can be a little bit favourable for some drivers and unfavourable for others, Ricardo managed to gap Norris by a a comfortable amount. And then that gap did come back down again to about 1.2, 1.4 seconds. Um, So, do I think that this is the job done for Ricardo? Do I think he's going to be coming back now and we're going to see the Ricardo of old? Not just yet. I don't think one victory means that you are the driver that we're used to seeing. That that Danny Rick in, you know, his second series at Renault. Or, you know, when he was smashing out wings and great... That drive, for example, in China that he put up in Red Bull. One of the best drives I've seen him ever do. One of the best drives I've probably seen in the last decade. You know, I don't think we're seeing that just yet. But... There's nothing to say that positive performance and learning is gradual. And there is something we've all always said on this podcast, that when a driver comes to a new team for the first year, you expect them to start worse than their teammate. And it will probably take a full season, but you expect to see growth throughout the season. You expect to see that development. They need to be relatively close, if not on par with their teammate, by the end of the year. Something Sergio Perez, for example, isn't necessarily doing. Daniel Ricciardo is, let's say, on that growth path. He is evolving, he is developing, he's getting used to the car, and the gap to Norris is shrinking. It's definitely not neck and neck just yet, but it's shrinking. We've got, what, seven, eight races left. I think Ricciardo could get there, and I think Ricciardo and Norris, for at least maybe two to three years, could be a very fun, powerful, and incredibly crucial partnership to that McLaren growth, and maybe a new era they can have it. They finally got a race win, they end up with a 1-2, which is amazing for them. And this could be the start of something great if both drivers continue to develop and that car keeps going the right way. We know Seidel as well. Seidel is a team boss uh, on that pit wall. is able to pull magical results. He has done in, uh, in the World Endurance Championship at the likes of Le Mans, and he's now doing so at, um, in Formula 1 with McLaren. Of course, with Zach Brown leading them, who is creating a brilliant culture there. So yes, I think with that nurturing, that development, that time, if Ricardo is allowed it, which I think currently he should be, um, we will see Ricardo comfortably on pace with Norris, and they'll be a very, very fun battle to watch. Do I think he's going to start achieving that race on race on race from now onwards? No. I think we come to Russia. I will not be surprised if Ricardo is still, let's say, two, three tenths behind Norris uh, in a qualifying battle and then finishing behind him in the race. But I think he's getting there. I think it's positive. Yeah, it is positive, and it's definitely in a better position now than it was towards the beginning of the season. So there is that growth that you've already mentioned, Sam. Um, my view is that Lando Norris will pick up from where he was in Sochi, and I think he will reassume that advantage over Daniel Ricciardo. And my, my view is that remains the case for the rest of this year. I, I think Daniel Ricciardo still has it. I still think he's got more than enough ability to do a great job for McLaren. I don't think that's gone at all compared to where his Red Bull, where he was in his Red Bull days. Still think he's got the ability. But I think the car that he's got at his disposal, not necessarily in terms of performance, but just the way that it handles, I don't think it suits Daniel Ricciardo at all. So I don't believe that this will be a turnaround until next season when it's a brand new car. Now, he's going to have much more input into next year's car than he did into this year's car. And of course, we know that the car's going to be completely different anyway, thanks to the regulation change. So I think 
Daniel Ricciardo will definitely be fingers crossed that he will be on the pace with Lando Norris next season. Who knows? Maybe even ahead of him. And I think either of those results are doable for him. But only when a new car comes in. I think the rest of this year is damage limitation. I think it will be a case of picking up the results where they come. But I think Lando Norris will hold that advantage for the rest of this year. I don't think this is this is going to be a revolutionary turnaround. I do think, as I've already mentioned, that Monza certainly helps out teammates that aren't necessarily doing that well versus versus the, the other guy on the team. So I, I think there's there's that element of it. But yeah, I, I, Daniel Ricciardo is wily enough that he will continue to pick up points throughout the rest of this year, even if he doesn't have that pace advantage. So I don't think much changes as a result of this win. I think it all changes, or at least has the ability to change, when that new car comes in. What did you make of uh, Lando Norris's response, just to touch on that? Because he's been close, he's, he's had a few podiums now, he's been close to his first win. Theoretically, today was his best chance yet, and probably had the pace to do so. Took it seemingly pretty well. How do you think he responded? I think there is a tiny part of him behind closed doors and behind the visor when he got told to hold position that um, his heart will have broken just a little bit. And he said it, to be fair, in the interview. So, of course, I'd love to have won that race. And I think you're not a racing driver, right? If you don't if you don't want to win the race, you're surely you're in the wrong line of work. And so, yeah, I think there'll be a little bit of him that goes, ah, that, that's, you know, we've finally got the win. I've been the better driver throughout the whole season. I don't think I can argue against that. But my teammate's the one that's picked up the victory here. That, that sucks. Yeah, it does. But... But over the radio, his attitude getting out of the car, the way he performed with the team, uh, the way he was then on the podium with Danny Rick, considering they both come out and said, we're not here to be friends with each other, we're here to be teammates. Um, he was brilliant. He was so well matured. He was so um, gracious in what he said. He fought for the team. Very much like what Russell reacted like, actually, when Williams got their first points in Hungary. Um, and I know it's the other way around. I know Russell scored more on the TV or whatever. But, um, you know, it was a real moment for the team. And he, I think Norris understands the struggle that the team have gone through, the rebuild the team have been part of. And so he understood the bigger picture here. And I was quite proud of him. I think that is the right way to handle yourself in front of the media. And he realises we're not in a championship fight. I can't win the championship if I win this race. So let's carry home a 1-2 and let's make sure that we get it done properly. And I, I think he reacted perfectly. That is exactly how I would want my driver to act if I uh, if I could magic someone up. So yeah, congrats to him. I think it was a brilliant performance, and then he he made himself shine in the interview afterwards. Yep, I think you're right. I, you know that he can say on the outside as much as he wants. He can cheer, he can celebrate, and I think his response was absolutely spot on. You cannot convince me that he is gutted, and he, you, you can respond in kind to say. He'll get plenty of opportunities in the future. You know, he might even get championship opportunities. In 10 years' time, this is going to seem really insignificant. Yes to all of that does not matter one bit for him right now. I, I honestly believe it will not matter for him at all. Now, that's the correct outlook. And I think in days, that maybe will he be his outlook. But right now, he was on the cusp of victory and he didn't get it. He's a racing driver. Um, and that response, at least internally is perfectly acceptable. But also the way he responded externally was completely it was it was perfect. Um you know, he's happy for the team. He know he knows that there was there was no point at least externally, you know, complaining or, or moaning or um doing anything but what he did. So I, I think he responded perfectly to this. I, I can't complain at all. Um there is also a, a tiny part. I mean, it seems incredibly unlikely of someone Lando Norris's calibre. But what if there is never another chance? What if he, you know, commits to McLaren long term? What if McLaren don't have a poor car again going into the new era? And let's say that, um, you know, because of this poor form that McLaren go on to, someone big doesn't necessarily want to sign Lando Norris in a few years' time when new talent comes through. And he's stuck in a midfield car. We've seen it happen to a lot of possibly very successful drivers that have never had that moment. Um... What if that ends up being Lando Norris's only chance at a victory? He might end up absolutely kicking himself in years to come. Obviously, it's all hypothetical, but that's what racing drivers, you know, need to take their, put their hands both on each side of the trophy and lift it themselves and not let their teammate do it. But as you said, from the team's point of view, he was perfect. Yeah, I mean, nothing is guaranteed. And whilst we won't get into this right now, I expect it will be a point at, at, at a future date, but 
that's why I think Valtteri Bottas, in his team spirit that we've seen for so long, if he's in with a chance of a victory, he doesn't know if he's going to get another opportunity, which definitely raises questions about how much of a team player he will be in that spot. If he knew that he was going to a, a great team next year and he's going to be in line for some more wins, then, then maybe the attitude's different. But because nothing is guaranteed, he, he, might, he might respond differently. So I, I think that is a good point. Sergio Perez, we've already discussed him briefly about how that went. Let's look specifically at the incident where Charles Leclerc, um, you know, he overtook Charles Leclerc off the track, so to speak. What do you make of his decision here? Because at least from an outsider's perspective, we both agree it's a bit of a slam dunk. Do you think this is on the team or do you think this is on Perez that he didn't give the position back straight away? Um... I think you've got to look at both sides, as, as with all these arguments that we go through, folks. Um, firstly, let's look at it from Sergio Perez's side, right? Sergio is under a little bit of pressure. There's no doubt that the Red Bull team, yes, they've re-signed him for another year, but there's no doubt that you've got Pierre Gasly and that Alpha Tauri, who is one of the shining stars of the last couple of seasons of Formula 1, who doesn't get along that well with Red Bull management, and if he did, it would be a slam dunk to get back in that seat. Sergio Press knows that his career is limited at this Red Bull drive, so he needs to start impressing, and he needs to start impressing fast to make sure that he gets as much time in that seat as possible. He gets a chance to pass a Ferrari at Monza, you know, in front of his team, where he needs to start getting himself up the grid. His teammate is now out of the race, and he not only does he mess up the chance to get the overtake done, which should be relatively simple for him, you know, break in the right place, keep the car on the track, you're going to be all right. You'll make it through. Um... It just didn't happen for him. So I think Perez is driving that car under pressure from the team to be successful. But then when you re- you know, you know that you've done that off track. You know, like we all saw it. The team know instantly. Sergio Perez, the driver himself, must have realised that, hang on a minute. I left the track in line with Leclerc. I've come back on the track completely in front of him. He's now behind me. That's not how Formula 1 works. And Charles Leclerc did the same thing to Valtteri Bottas uh, in turn one a few laps on, right? Charles Leclerc went off the track, came back on in front of Bottas, and then immediately gave the place back, and then used it to his advantage to slingshot back past Bottas, and Bottas had to redo the move. Nothing came up about that, no one complained about it. Bottas had a little radio chat about it, but there was no Stuart's inquiry into it. Perez surely has those race smarts. We've seen how smart Perez can be throughout a race. We've seen how careful and concise that he knows how to be in a race. But we've also seen this hot headiness from Perez before. When fighting against Ocon, for example, he's had some bad moments. Um... We know that, again, actually with Austria, when it comes to fighting um, Norris and he, on the last lap, took out his front wing. We've seen Perez have silly moments. And I think this was a silly moment, whilst under pressure from a very intense team of Red Bull. He's got the car. He's got the ability. He knows full well that he should lift off, let the clerk go through through the Lesmo, get straight back on him again, and go for him again into turn one next time around. The team also should be fully aware of those rules. They should not be chancing their arm like this, especially with the driver already out of the Grand Prix. And they should have someone on the wall who is confident enough in those rule sets to sit there and go, Checo, you've overtaken off track. Give the position back within the next three corners. Whenever you feel is best, give that place back or we will get a penalty. And I think you always need to be safe rather than sorry in these positions. It's not like Perez hasn't got a race-winning car under him. It's not like Perez can't get a podium here. It's not like they're fighting for 13th place and there might be a risk of it. You are fighting for a possible place in your F1 career and you've made another silly decision and the Red Bull team are, are uncertain. I think both sides have let, you know, dropped the ball here. Both sides need to do more. And I think Perez, we need to see more from him in the car. He needs to be dictating a bit more like Max does, like Lewis does, like we saw bloody Carlos Sainz do, right? Being the strategist on the pit wall. Um, you need to have that ability to command from the car. Perez isn't doing it. From us, as we've said, from outside the, the, the car, it was a slam dunk. And I think from inside the Red Bull pit garage, it should be a slam dunk of what you need to do. It wasn't really good enough from both sides. They both let themselves down. So, yeah, I, I, you need to see one side or another make a clear-cut decision on that. Instead of going, uh, oh, it's too late. We've got a penalty. Uh, Checo, can you drive as fast as you can to make sure we get out of that window, please? It's just more points lost. It's another silly decision that the top team seems to be making more and more uh, as we're going through this season. I think they, they they were just massively hamstrung by the fact that, that he didn't let him through straight away because they knew that Valtteri Bottas was coming in very fast. Uh, it would have been P5, I guess, at that point. But essentially, it was Perez Leclerc battling away with Bottas closing in very quickly on the pair of them. 
the second that Valtteri Bottas got past Leclerc, Perez doesn't have the opportunity to give that place back anymore, which which makes you wonder why he didn't do it in the first place, because at that point, they can't just say, well, uh, you know, give him the place back, because you're also then giving Bottas the place, which gives him the opportunity to go after the two McLarens and potentially take a race win or a P2 and get more points from the race than Bottas actually did. So you're affecting the Constructors' Championship at that point, so you just have to, at that point, you have to say, okay, keep the position, we'll take the five-second penalty, because it's better than if we let Bottas through. So that, you know, he had to he had to let him pass straight away as a result of that, and he didn't. And as we've already referenced, it wasn't the only time something like this happened with Perez this weekend. We know he went, um, he went side-by-side with Lance Stroll, very similar... Now, he did give the position back in that instance, but it wasn't until the Ascari chicane, and it was the same place where the actual incident happened. So it was pretty much half a lap before he gave the position back. Now, Red Bull's position on this was they wanted to investigate whether they did need to take it back from the FIA, but the regulation does say, on the other hand, that you have to give that position back as soon as it's safe to do so. So rather than just this specific incident, Sam, but perhaps this sort of incident more widely, how do you think that the team should approach this? What should the regulations be? Should there be time in there so that they can investigate it with the FIA as to whether they do need to actually give the place back? No, I don't don't think the FIA need to do anything. It's very clear. If you complete a move off track, then you've made the move illegally. And I think that's fine. What I do think maybe there needs to be, as you've said there, is almost a time frame, a guarantee for um, for drivers to comfortably give the move back without panicking, without forcing themselves into a silly decision. So maybe there needs to be a, you've got one lap back to the corner where the issue happened to give that position back. That is kind of the rule set, right? So that allows Perez one minute, 25 seconds to have a quick chat with his team and go, was that done off track? It was. Cool coming down the start finish straight right into the braking zone or right before the the start finish straight going through it's not called parabolica anymore but parabolica big satellite uh, or satellite dish as it is translated to um i believe that um, you know that would be a sensible place to do it let's do it there cool i don't think the fia needs to be changing this rule it is a very clear cut rule it's a very old rule in formula one you race within lines um you you know, overtake within those lines. You can't score in football from, you know, uh, behind the goal because the ball's out of play at that point. It's the same with racing your car. Your car is technically out of play if you're out of bounds of the racetrack. So, no, I don't think the FIA needs to do too much here. I would maybe respect them putting in a time limit, like an actual cemented time limit on when a position needs to be given back because that stops this awkward, have we gone over an expected time? Are we rushing? Um, should there be a safe place to do this? I think that's fair. That's a fair change to make. But I don't think the FIA need to have any change in this rule for, oh, we've had a five-lap chat with the team and actually we've realised that technically they were so wheel-to-wheel going through a chicane that, oh, it's on the margin. So yes, technically he was might be ahead. No, I don't want any of that. I just want a, you've got one lap to give the position back when you think it's safest, do it. Uh, all positions should be fully made with the track limits full in respect. And um, it wasn't. I thought that was quite clear. Yeah, for me, I would I would not include a maximum time to allow the position back for two reasons. Firstly, I think you'd find teams would exploit that. So if they knew they had one minute to give the position back, they would do so after 55 seconds or they would just basically pick whichever moment is best for them and they would exploit that time. I also think that you might get a situation where there isn't actually a safe moment within that time frame at which point the FIA would have to either give a penalty or go against their own ruling. My view is that the rule should remain completely unchanged. You give that position back as soon as it is safe to do so. And my, and you might respond with that, um, you know, what if you want to investigate with the FIA, like Jonathan Wheatley did? What if you want to investigate with the FIA? Do we actually have to give this position back or was it a fair move? I would say this. Formula One is all about split-second decisions. That is Formula One in a a nutshell. The decision to bring a driver in or to keep him out, the decision to go for the overtake or back out and try again on the next corner. You are asking the drivers to make hundreds and hundreds of split-second decisions around the track on, on race day. That's what you're asking the drivers to do. And for me, it should be no different for the strategists either. 
It should be split-second decisions. Do you, If you're unsure as to whether they should give the place back or not, you make the decision in that moment. If you're wrong, you live with the consequences. That's Formula One. You, if, you, if you make the wrong decision, that's fine. But I don't think that there should be this whole... Okay, I'm just going to go over to Michael... We're going to review this. Do you, do you think he should get the position back? Do you think he shouldn't? Um, we're not sure about this. We'll keep the position until we're certain we have to. I think it's a load of rubbish. If you think it's unfair, if you think it's an unfair overtake, you let him pass straight away. If you don't, you don't let him pass, and you live with whatever decision the stewards make thereafter. Because split second decisions is Formula One. Full stop. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Ben. I think that's a very fair shout. And it, this might be a development that we've seen, and so I'm going to maybe be slightly harsh on Red Bull here, but since we've seen the input of the team-to-race-director chat, uh, obviously Mercedes and Red Bull do tend to get the, the the dominance of that display. We see their communications a lot more than the rest of the teams because they are fighting for the championship, so that is fair. Hence why we hear the likes of Hamilton and Verstappen maybe moaning or being frustrated or celebrating more than everyone else. We do seem to hear Red Bull at every given occasion, and at least it's displayed at every given occasion, more so than other teams. It almost feels like trying to bide for time, trying to buy time out of the FIA for a decision while they're trying to sort something else out on their end of things. And I'm I'm not a fan of it. Um, we know in Formula 1 that there are decisions to be made. And as you said, Formula 1 is about split-second decisions. They get paid a lot of money to make these calls make the call and get on with it and as you said deal with it i'm i'm not enjoying these like you, you gave a perfect example there then hi michael can we just spend some time investigating this and see what we can do no sorry i don't want any of that i don't want those calls to be about that that's not what calls to the fia and, and the race director should be it should be you know your rule set make the call and get on with it and live with the, the decision um it's not a life or death situation so for me i'm not a fan of it it does feel like red bull lead the way with this a bit but i might just be being harsh because we don't hear every single broadcast that yeah, tough to tell on that. Um, we'll move on to the sprint qualifying um, that we had on Saturday. It's the second time that we've had this this year. Uh, the first, of course, happened at Silverstone. We believe the third one is scheduled in for Brazil, although I'm still unsure whether we've actually got official confirmation of that. Um, so a second outing for it. Um, what did you make of it, Sam? Um, I mean, it was it was better than the Silverstone one, I think. Um but do I think we need it? Do I think it made the overall weekend more exciting? And obviously it's hard to say that because I can't sit there and run the two weekends side by side, right? I can't sit there and go, if we had normal qualifying on Saturday and a normal race on Sunday, would that be a better race than the sprint qualifying on Saturday, normal qualifying on Friday and the race on Sunday? No, I can't make that decision. But I know qualifying, especially around Monza, has always been exciting. It is a thrilling spectacle, as much as it is around the likes of Monaco. I love it. And it's always funny. It's always silly. Cars don't know where they should be going. We get the silly traffic jams, and there is something interesting to talk about. It's not like it's a dull moment. Um, and, of course, you could argue, well, hang on a minute, Sam. Um, McLaren maybe wouldn't have won had we not had the sprint race. Or Hamilton might not have got that awful start and put further cars up. Or Hamilton and Verstappen might not have crashed. Um... No, you're right. But, I mean, I don't know what might have happened in the other scenario that we've seen go ahead. So, yes, I think it was better than the Silverstone spin qualifying and then the race that it possibly provided. Do I think it's necessary? Do I think it's more fun? Do I think we should have it for every race? No, I'm still not convinced. I don't think it's groundbreaking. I don't think it's breathtaking. I don't think it creates a whole new spectacle. And I'll say it again as I've said it every other time qualifying is not the broken part of Formula 1. It is the way the cars are built that stops them being close together, which hopefully will be fixed from the new regulations. So, to me, that completely removes any need for sprint qualifying to jumble up. It just feels like an extended race. It just feels like they get more time to practice their race conditions and know what they need to do there. So, for me, yeah, it was fine. Do I need it again? No. Um... You you know as as well as anyone who who listens to this <laughs> podcast, I I'm not a fan of of sprint qualifying. I haven't been since the idea was first presented, uh, and shockingly, this has not changed my mind at all. I cannot understand it whatsoever. Where the appeal is in this? Now you might say, well, having a race is better than having a third practice session. We get more time on track with these guys racing rather than practicing. Okay, where does that stop? Should we just have 10 races at a weekend? Should we have 50? <laughs> like, it, it's got to stop somewhere. 
for me, it just dilutes away from the main race. I, I think it just takes away from the spectacle of a Sunday rather than adds to it. And you're right. Qualifying is not broken at all. Qualifying is fantastic. We see that every time. We saw it at Silverstone. The Friday of, of qualifying, actual qualifying, was riveting. And then the spring and then the spring qualifying happened and it was like, OK, okay sure. And I, I said this last time when we when we reviewed this and I still think the same thing. You are just adding an extra 33 percent of a race and just plonking it on the Saturday. But without any of the strategic elements that makes the racing a lot of fun. You're, you're just at, it's just a first stint that you're putting on a Saturday Rather than have a 53-lap race around Monza, you're actually having a 71-lap race around Monza. You're just splitting it over two days, but the strategy of the first stint doesn't actually affect the strategy of the second stint whatsoever. I do not understand this. And I, I appreciate this one splits opinions a lot, and I would say there are probably just as many who support this as, as go against it. I think probably the overwhelming majority like it enough to have it on a few races as it is right now rather than have it every weekend but i am i'm i'm still in the against camp here i i i do not if they were standalone events fine absolutely fine third drivers young drivers put them in the cut fine happy with any of that but as a part of the race weekend where they give out points for qualifying i i do not get it i really don't get it Ben, do you feel like, um, and again, of course, we we are over there on you know the F1 Twitter sphere. We obviously pay attention to all the news and the broadcast that goes on. Do you feel like the official par- partners of Formula One, those that put out the official press releases and opinions, so to speak, not fan-led ones such as ourselves, um, are they a little bit guilty of possibly forcing the positive opinion of, of Sprint F1 races down people's throats. So they kind of almost blanketing maybe a negative portion or the, the negative voice that is coming out of the Formula 1 community. It feels like they've overshadowed that a little bit. I've seen that thrown around quite a bit and I don't think it's being thrown around unfairly, put it that way. I, I think there is certainly a case to that. Um, I, I do think... I do think that opinion is mixed on it, generally speaking. I think there are probably just as just as many in favour as against. I don't think there'd be much difference either way. However, everything that we see, um, you know, it, it points to the fact that a lot of big, big names are focusing on the positives here and definitely driving away from the negatives. A lot of interest in fan engagement. Yeah, fan engagement, sure. Positive and negative. Don't, don't shy away from the negative of it all. Um, I, I, I think there is a lot of building it up. I appreciate they want a, a highlight on all three days. I, I know that's why they put this in place in the first in the first instance. But, you know, I Saturday, actually, I, I had to miss the first half of qualifying on Saturday because I was I was finishing up work. And, you know, I don't want that. And I'm sure I wasn't the only one that couldn't watch all of it or couldn't watch it at all. So I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on on the Friday when we had the stack, the normal qualifying, so to speak, that starting I think at five o'clock. I had a work call at half past four, and I had to politely say to the people in the work call at half past four on a Friday, which wasn't too um, pleasant of them anyway. Do we mind if we cut this off at five to five because I've got to go and I want to go and watch this? And I know it's the end of the day on a Friday. And fortunately, I worked with some nice people, and they said, "Yeah, of course, it's a Friday afternoon. You know, that's fine." There are a lot of people who work on a Friday who get the weekends off who will not have been able to have watched that or have tagged it on record or have heard the spoilers on the radio on the way home. Um, or, you know, God forbid, someone doesn't live in the UK and they maybe have to have some other different schedule in their life on a Friday over in, you know, the Down Under or in America or something like that. And it doesn't work for them in the slightest. And as we've said, qualifying is already one of the highlights of a race weekend. Um, and you've already alluded to it, Ben. I would rather see a third driver or a young driver or a junior driver or... God forbid, just let the F2 championship run succinctly with the actual F1 championship and give them a proper race on Friday and then a race on Saturday. Amazing, right? You you get so much more exposure for the junior campaigns. Yeah, mind blown. Mind of the whole F1 community shocked at this revelation. We've got such a talented young driver lying up in that F2 and it's so exciting to watch and no one this year knows what's going on. It's ruined the junior campaign because it's so convoluting and confusing um, and that's your solution. It 
feels like right there. So maybe it will be better with the new um, the new regulations next year. But you know what? I don't want to find out. Formula 1 worked as it did. You just need the cars to be closer, which theoretically we will be. So give the junior drivers more time. Put that together. That feels like an obvious solution. Yeah. And I, I know that there will be, there will be comments about um, me being reluctant to change, um, which isn't true. Like I say, the, the two young driver, third driver, fine. I, I'm happy for change in that respect. I, I'm fine with change, just not change for change's sake. Um, yeah. where I don't think it actually adds value to a race weekend. But appreciate there are going to be very differing opinions on this. Uh, and I know that there are there are those that are still in favour of this. We'll have to see how it goes for the third time out. It's still a fairly small sample size, I will say. Um, but yeah, if it happens in Brazil, to see what happens there. And just to say, I think we, we need to, before we wrap up, we have to mention one thing here because we've had this question quite a lot in our discord we've had this question a lot on twitter the last couple of days as you will know if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now sam sage made a prediction earlier in the year <laughs> very very early in the year actually that valtteri what, bottas it was before a race was run i think yes it was you're right before a race was even run this year sam made a prediction that valtteri bottas will never win a race again now there are of course plenty of people asking right now Having oh, wow. Bottas having won on Saturday, he technically won a race, but of course he did not win a full-on Grand Prix. People asking, does that count? Now, as much as I would absolutely love to say, yes, it does count, because obviously at that point I'll be right and he'll be wrong, I couldn't of in course. good faith do that. So it is not a race win. We're not counting it. Um, and it goes on for another week. But good news is, we got Sochi up next, so you don't have to wait too much longer for Sam to be wrong. Yeah, I mean, they call Monza the Temple of Speed. Sochi's nickname is, of course, the Temple of Bottas. So you never know yeah. that the thing with that new power unit, and it feels like he's a bit bored with that new contract, could in turn go up yours, Mercedes. I'm having this one for myself as well. And I could be wrong, and maybe we'll have to come up with some community-based forfeit if it does happen, because I've been quite smug about this for the whole season long. But, uh, but for now, because it's not an official GP win, it doesn't go down on his record... Uh, it does move on for another week. I'm annoyed though because he deserved it this weekend. He, I he don't like using the the D word. I don't like using the deserved word, but he deserved it this weekend. He was great. He was a bit scruffy with some of the moves, but Bottas put on a great display. He did what I expected him to say he to do from the back, and he delivered well. And you know what? His qualifying and his sprint performance were bloody brilliant. If he started first this weekend, I think he could have gone on to win this race. I've got to be honest, if he started first, which I think based on his performance he deserved, I think he yep. would have driven away. I honestly think he yep. would have, even with Verstappen and the current, I think if he led out of turn one, he'd have been gone. I agree. And I was which... actually a little bit delighted when I heard that he had an engine penalty because <laughs> I was a bit nervous. Yeah, well, like we say, Sochi's up next. If you dodge, if you dodge Sochi, I'm a bit worried. Yeah, I'm a bit Here worried. One, one more big hurdle to get over for the Bottas fandom. Because at that point, maybe he'll have to win when he goes to Alfa Romeo. Can you imagine if he doesn't win for the rest of this season and he proves you wrong by winning at Alfa Romeo? Botti's president of F1 2022. Well, we'll have to see if that does happen at Sochi. We'll, of course, be there for a preview and a review podcast on that one. Um, and we'll be back, of course, midweek, even without a race coming up this weekend. But Sam, if you wouldn't mind getting us out of here folks it is incredibly rude of the FIA to not give us another race coming up this weekend it means that we have to go for a two-week break and I will spend the entire Saturday and Sunday weeping into a Formula One piece of merchandise uh if you do want to join us though in between those race weekends that are not happening unfortunately then we are back on Wednesday as Ben said we're going to be talking about the general season some more F1 bits and pieces other news and whatnot we always have a lot of fun on the non-race weekends as well if you want to join in around those topics and not just for the podcast then as we've mentioned previously get involved in the discord there are well over 130 people which baffles me Every day, talking about Formula 1, racing, previous F1 seasons, their favourite liveries, other bits and pieces as well. And everyone in there so far has been absolutely bloody lovely, so thank you. Uh, go and join it, the link is in the description. And as we've mentioned, um, I don't like to shill because it is a little bit lame, but 
we all work full-time jobs alongside this. Um, you know, we do have to try and pay the bills. It takes a lot of our time. If you do love the podcast and you want to support it, um, and you've got a couple of quid that you go, oh, what do I do with this at the end of the month? And you don't want to save it for a nice holiday. Maybe there's a Patreon down in the description as well. It really costs very little, and there's a lot of great perks that we're starting to roll out with it as well. We will always appreciate that extra support. So thank you if you do even consider it. It means a lot. But also, thanks for just turning out and giving us a listen. We love your support. Um, I can't believe the podcast is growing so much. I've waffled on far too much. Uh, in the meantime, I've been Samuel Sage. And I've been Ben Hocking. Remember, keep breaking late. Bye! Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.